You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray Podcast. We do spend time together every Friday. We eat junk food and smoke pot. And he spends the night and we sleep in the bed together. And there's not one good relationship in life. One good example of a marriage in life. He's also very good looking. I'm just saying. What do you think about the Fade to Gray Podcast? It sucks. Nice. We out. We out. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. And we are again in the relationship series. Today's guest, I'm very excited to introduce you to. If you can't hear the voices in the background, let me go ahead first. Let everyone introduce themselves. I'm Chris, motherfuckers. What's up? Hello. It is your friendly gay, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the token lady. Ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth's here. And we are interviewing a lady today as well. We have Marie. Yay! <laughs> we have Marie LaPage with us from Everyone's Agnostic Podcast, um, as well as a virtual assistant and life coach um, for relationship matters, financial matters. Um, actually, explain to us what the virtual assistant is for all of us in our 30s, 40s. We're thinking of you know, the. The cheesy, like, was it Mac virtual assistant or was that IBM that would come on your screen as you were, like, trying to figure out how to work on a computer in the yeah, 1990s? Yeah, I'm basically like Ask Jeeves. <laughs> basically. Whoa, I've not heard of Ask Jeeves in a really long time. You're welcome. <laughs> Take you. it back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I've been in administrative work since 2006 or seven, like, Started as a receptionist, then became an administrative assistant, then a legal assistant, then a executive assistant, and most recently, I've been a senior executive assistant to a CFO at an insurance company. And you are wow. really good at assisting. Yeah, I'm like the best at not worrying about myself at all <laughs> and being codependent on other people. So then I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, and that I am a strong, independent woman who wants to do her own thing. And so I quit my job. Uh, looking at the calendar a week ago, no, two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. That's like everyone's dream. Well, we'll see how long the dream lasts. I have one year, <laughs> one year before we run out of money <laughs> and I have to get something. But I, I, like I said, I have a lot of, uh, streams of revenue coming in here, a lot of potential. And so being a virtual assistant is like things that I've done so far is like consulting with people to help them build a, you know, a budget for their personal stuff or like Seth needs that okay I'm making a phone (laughs) gesture Seth I I don't know if you know what this means but you are to connect with me and then I can provide you non-sexual services related to budgets (laughs) well anybody who's listening to the podcast right now will have like some contact information obviously yeah um, yeah the end of the podcast and also in the show notes yeah well seth is used to paying for sexual services but please listen Listen. support your sex workers man i know (laughs) they've got it hard (laughs) apparently no no pun intended (laughs) wasn't it though (laughs) so Oh my gosh, you walked into that one, Seth, seriously. Uh, Yes, I did. So, (laughs) this is part of our relationship series. We've not talked about relationships yet. So, I'd really like to hear a little bit of your story, and why are we talking today? Tell me a little bit about you. Why are we talking today? I don't know, I don't know, man. But, uh, (laughs) so, me, let's see. So, in an arc 
Regarding relationships, my story is such that I was born into a very fundamentalist religious environment, which um, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, that that kind of can cause um, really unhealthy relationship attachment styles and a lot of like beyond healthy self-sacrificing, neglecting your own needs, just, you know, disparaging yourself, your humanity, uh, like a lot of that really toxic stuff that you can grow up with in religion. And so that's where I came from and um, have always really struggled to be comfortable with myself alone, be comfortable with myself in relationships, um, including the sexual element about relationships as well. And so when I finally left behind um, spiritual beliefs that had no foundation, when I deconverted, um, I, I really started on a path of trying to make sense of the world now in absence of a deity and so that led me down a lot of really fun paths that I could talk about for hours but to focus on the relationship element I uh, after I deconverted I married this guy from India um, and I married him because he was the first guy that I knowingly knew that he liked me and I thought to myself I will never find another man ever who will like me and tolerate me and put up with my shit and the baggage that I'm carrying. So I'm going to marry him. So wow. India is strange. I mean, were you in India oh. at the time? I think you need like, let us know about that because I think there's some connection there with YWAM that some of our there listeners is. Well, also. Uh, well, sort of. The, YWAM was before this. So I was, in y, I was doing missions work in YWAM from 2000 to 2003 in Mexico. Um, and then I kind of started deconverting and, and left permanently. And so I was in this very fragile emotional state and my whole paradigm was shifting. And I went back to Minnesota where I'm from and I got a job at a call center cause I was bilingual. And so they sent me down to Texas to kind of get trained in this job. And I was there for three months with a corporate credit card with like a long-term stay hotel room to myself and then a bunch of really hot Indian guys that flew in <laughs> from India to also get trained in the same thing that I was doing. That's nice. Uh, when you say you're bilingual, what languages are you talking about? Uh, Spanish and then I'm a beginner in Hindi. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. So I got that job and I met that guy that summer and we hung out for three months and then decided at the end of it that we'll just probably let's just get married because he had to go back to India and I had to go back to Minnesota. And What are you going to do? So I flew out to India. We got married there and we were together here in Minnesota for five years before we divorced. <laughs> and it was great. Um, but it was not a healthy relationship at all. Um, there was a lot of like like a sense of obligation to each other, a lot of uh, entanglement. A lot of residual toxicity from your religion. Yes, yes. And yeah. I think um, the what I call, it's a, it's a mix of what religion tells you about relationships in addition to and, and also overlapping with what I would call the concept of toxic monogamy, which is not the same as monogamy. It's those unhealthy parts of what we traditionally look at at uh, monogamy, like the uh, unhealthy um, dependence that 
um, a couple may have upon each other. The sense and the that gender roles too. Kind gender of, roles too. Yep, and that like that you should be each other's everything. That you are each other's soulmate. That without that person, you are incomplete. The whole term "better half" is disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I- the idea, or the l- religious idea, I know from the fundamentalist background that I come from, is that your wife came from your rib, and that they are literally an extension of yourself, yeah. uh, which is extremely toxic. Yes. Do you think any of that, Marie, was from the Indian culture that he grew up in? Honestly, no. Like a lot of people have asked me, like, did you guys divorce? Did it not work because of cultural differences? And, you know, and all the time I was with him and all the times I've been deconstructing kind of what happened in our relationship, culture has not really played into my understanding of the narrative of our relationship. It just was, he was just him and I was just me. And I've met plenty of people in America who are like him. I, I don't think it's cultural. At least what we experienced, I don't believe it was cultural. Um, so, so he and I had um, uh, an unhealthy relationship, um, just a lot of conflict, and it should have ended sooner. And it didn't because even though I had deconstructed my faith, I still thought that marriage was to be taken extremely seriously and that... Y- um, a successful marriage should always end in somebody's death. And that's the only successful marriage that you can have. So we really valued marriage above our own sense of compatibility. And like, is this, does this make any sense? So the marriage lasted a really long time, much longer than it should have. And it was really painful for me. And uh, so we divorced um, nine years ago. Wow. And um, <laughs> immediately after that, I started to go on a dating binge, which was really fun. And, um, that was terrifying. Like relationships have been really scary for me. I have been intimidated. I'm mostly straight. So I've been, for me, it's very intimidating, uh, men, men are intimidating, especially coming from the culture that we're in of misogyny and the way that we are raised and the messages that we get in media about needing men to save us, needing men to guide us, needing to be quiet for the man, needing to take care of the man. Um, And so I was still kind of holding that shit. But anyway, that summer, I met uh, this guy who I really liked. And we started dating and he moved in on the second date, essentially. And Ultimately, I signed a contract with him saying that we were going to be in a part, a legal partnership. <laughs> we got married because um, that, for some reason, was important at the time. And over the years, um, I've deconstructed a lot of things in the nine years that I've been married to him. Or no, whatever, nine years I've been with him. I've de- deconstructed a lot of things about relationship, about internalized misogyny, like these expectations I had on myself that I, I decided to own internally that... Uh, media and culture had taught me about uh, how to be a woman in a relationship with a man and um, that that stuff all can burn in a fire and die Um, (laughs) so I uh, 
see, I don't even know where to go from there. Like, I guess I can move well, into... Well, let me ask you a few questions about some of that, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, totally. Um, do you think that the reason, because it seems to me as though you kind of jump into relationships very quickly. Uh, certainly your marriages were very quick. So the man that you are now married to, you were literally on the second date with by the time he moved in. Yeah. This is incredibly fast. Do you think that that has also something to do with maybe purity culture or fundamentalism that you were raised in? Um... That's a really good question. I think the answer is no. I think, uh, I don't know. I have a couple hypotheses around it. Like part of it is that I'm really picky about who I'm in relationships with. Even you're going to be disappointed later on to find out I haven't had that many partners, even though I'm poly, because everyone figures if you're poly, then you're an ethical slut, which in a way you are. <laughs> but point being, I'm very selective. I'm mildly demisexual. So it's important to me to, oh, there's another demi here. I see. I saw the Joss just no, the second demi we've had on the relationship series though exactly and yeah. seth doesn't think it's a real thing well so. it's, a, it's a spectrum <laughs> right like it's a spectrum yeah so i yeah. i don't fully associate with the strictest definition of it but i don't if i see somebody outside who is traditionally hot i'm gonna be like i acknowledge that you're hot you will not be entering into any of my fantasies in my mind because i don't know who you voted for like, I don't know <laughs> what your life is about. I don't know who you are. Like, I connect with people as people first, which is just my thing. That's just how I go about the things in my life. Oh, well, you definitely can't identify as a man then. No. I mean, if we want to be stereotypical, <laughs> yeah, then men are more seen as that. But not all yeah. of them. Not all men. No, Damn I know. It. I know. The last person we had on was Demi as well. And he was a guy. Yeah. So. There you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's important to kind of maybe set up what we're about to go into, of course, is, is the, the polyamorous relationships. Yeah. I'm not certain that that's where, are we ready to get into that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I actually have a question about this because you're married, all right? And you got married nine years ago, you said. Uh, 2012. And in 2012. Okay. All right. So, but you've been in a relationship with your current husband for nine yeah. years. And I'm imagining that he's also polyamorous yeah. uh, since he's okay with you doing it. Um, yeah. What is that dynamic like? It's great. <laughs> it's, it, it hasn't always been great. Um, it's been a growth experience. I don't know. I feel like maybe we get to that. Like, I feel like there's a lot of context to provide that will bring this uh, a little bit backwards in time. Um, sure. So I'm just going to, I'm going to fill in a little bit with a little bit of history in that, like, uh, so I'll talk about sex, which everyone loves. Everyone that Tell likes us a sex story, unless, <laughs> unless you're asexual <laughs> or whatever, that's all, it's all very complicated and there's all types of people. But um, so for me, uh, grew up in purity culture, um, internalized that onto my body and my purity and my value, ate it all up. Um, and it was an excuse to not engage with people that I found attractive. It was an excuse to... Modest is hottest. Honest is hottest? Modest is hottest. That's gross. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but you never got taught that. No, that is not a phrase that I heard. But I'm uh, oh, God, the concept. You heard that all the time. Really, I'm yeah. surprised because I heard that all the time in the purity culture. <laughs> oh no, I, yeah, gross. No, um, you know, but like Joshua Harris was our role model, and you see where he is now. So yeah, 
I mean, I'm happy he's moving forward. There's complicated yeah, feelings likewise. about that, though, you know. So you kind of love him and you hate him. Like, yeah. But I... He fucked a lot of people up. He did. But it was the it was the water we were all swimming at, in at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I mean, he practiced what he preached, you know, and it's just... It kind of, I mean, I feel bad for the guy. I'm actually happy for him because he seems like they're in an, a pretty decent place as far as like knowing that this is they want, what they want to do. Yeah. But it still, well, had, it still had to be like incredibly hard to get there. Yeah. And, sure. And to give some context, this is the guy who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was a book that everyone read as a, you know, as a, a kid growing up in purity culture and thought, oh, sweet, I shouldn't date because it's, you know, going to cause all this stumbling in my life or whatnot. And it really fucked people yeah. up. So. Yeah, I so used what it as a guideline, say? too. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I don't... I'm trying to think what's been the latest news, but he... I, I think he may be gay. That's that's a hypothesis going around, and, yep, but he'll tell us. And, and, well, this is the thing. For me, that it, what Joshua Harris did was something that I aspired to do. It's what I'm saying here, so... Write a book? Yeah, like, I. that's why I wrote... Well, no, but like a book to justify my experience in a way that moves me forward. Mm. So, um, because hmm. I went through, so, so Maria, like I went through, uh, I asked my parents to fix me. I asked them to send me and make me straight. Um, and I spent three months in a alcohol rehab facility and like wrote 300 pages of my experience like wanted to get it published and wanted to do all this kinds of, of things. And I feel like what Joshua Harris was doing with like, I kiss dating goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I did these, like these different types of books. I think he was doing something to try to, I don't know, feel better or make it up to God. Yeah. And I did a lot of that kind of stuff and I would have loved to have done what he did. So I understand him to, in a different context, I guess. Right. Like he was trying to write a narrative to contextualize what he was going through in a way that made it okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's then, very likely. And then Christian I mean, culture like grabbed a hold of it, you know, the whole evangelical movement, you know, and it was a whole wave. It was like the Bible. It was the purity Bible. And I think, what was the other one? I kissed the girls or I kissed the girl or something like that. Mm-mm. That was a Katy Perry song. <laughs> no. The... Boy Meets Girl, I think is what Bo- it was called. Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what it was. Boy, I remember yeah. th- that, that was the one that I read first before I ever read I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And so yeah. for me, it kind of gave context. Like that was when he actually met his wife and the different things that he went through in the recording process. I actually and had so, a harder time with that one than I kissed dating goodbye. Oh. Well, it, it gave me hope for the fact that like, okay, if he kissed dating goodbye, there is like a happy ending to that. He's not just kissing it goodbye for the rest of his life and then ended up single. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe there is something to this form if he yeah. found his promise that he says that it, it worked. So. Yeah. And everything was very formulaic back then too. I mean, so anyway, that's yeah. what everything was straightforward, and like, and that's what fed into um, how I struggled with sexuality and relationships and that sort of thing. Because it's not that I actively believed that God hated me and my sexuality and my libido or anything, but those things are hard to take out of you if you've internalized them. So. And this is what I'm realizing more and more as years go by that you know that I've left religion behind that. Just when you think that it, it was just simple, like I, I left faith and ta-da, now I get to live as a human being. You're con- I'm constantly 
realizing how those lessons and that indoctrination is continually informing my choices and my reactions because of how young we were when we were taught this because of how toxic and fear-based these things were and so Mm -hmm. for me like when i'm we'll just throw out that first marriage out the door entirely don't even worry about it the second marriage much healthier i i love that guy like crazy he's mowing the lawn right now and he's adorable and (laughs) um however like we first got together and sex was like yeah this is great i love this and then two years in about one or two years in i started to feel really emotionally safe for the first time like this is a man who loves me, who listens, who isn't trying to take advantage of me, who is patient, who understands the shit that I'm dealing with from detoxing from religion. Uh, I feel so safe. And that's when all of my shit like came to the surface. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this kind of thing either. Like, what the hell? I finally feel safe. And now this shit is coming up for me. And so I was really surprised by it, but retrospectively, I can see why. Like, if you finally feel safe, then maybe your trauma feels safe to come out and to be dealt with. Um, So, you know, it was a couple years into the relationship where my libido suddenly went down and I didn't want to have sex anymore and I felt terrible about it. And, like, it got to the point where, like, if he would approach me to to solicit to solicit a sexual engagement, I would just like cave in into like fetal position, like curl up on the bed, start crying, stare at the wall, just basically going into this trauma response type thing. And I would just start hyperventilating. I'd have to leave the bedroom. I'd go into the kitchen, grab a hold of the counter and just just like just heaving over it, just like wailing and sobbing because he wanted to have sex with me. How did that affect your marriage? It was really hard. Like it was hard because I think it would have been easier if um, I didn't feel shame for it. I felt a lot of shame for being fucked up. Um, And I was afraid of a lot of things. I was afraid about like, what if I'm not attracted to him anymore? What if I don't actually want to have sex with him anymore what does that do to our relationship because in a monogamous relationship if you don't want to have sex with them anymore guess what you're both not having sex now and does that partner is can that partner work with that and I don't know I don't know if he could and so I was terrified what if that's the case what if I'm not sexually attracted to him anymore what if I'm asexual What if I am so sexually fucked because of purity culture that I'm just never going to get over this fucking shit? And so I really, par for course for me, really aggressively leaned into this and really tried to understand what was going on with me. And it took years. It took a lot of different approaches and effort and a lot of dealing with horrible shit. Um... Like I went and saw like a sex doctor, got like my hormones checked just to see if like this is a biological thing. Talked to a sex therapist who would literally say, I validate you instead of actually validating me, which was weird as fuck. And I tried a bunch of different things and it just 
wasn't helping. I had an eating disorder at the time too. And so I was getting treated for that, doing dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, all that beautiful stuff. And so I was working really, really fucking hard and it was just exhausting. And I was constantly apologizing to my husband, my partner, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like I'm just feeling this, this weight of expectation of like, I need to hurry up and figure this out so he can fuck me. The- well, I couldn't imagine also like I, that would be horrible for you to go through and, and just the, the stress, like you said, or the shame of feeling like you're supposed to be something that you're not. But I'm also thinking like what that would be like for him. I mean, it must be an yeah. amazing dude to be able to, to like not internalize the fact that like my wife is running away from me crying and, yeah. and heaving in the bathroom because she doesn't want to have sex with me. Like, I mean, that would like, I, well, lesser men <laughs> might feel very in, incompetent exactly. or maybe they might, might internalize that as something that's wrong with them. Completely. Um, yeah. How long did you guys go without having sex? Uh, I don't know. It was quite a while. Yeah, it would come and go depending on like how I felt or whatever. I I don't even know if I know the years like of when it came to the surface versus like what's happened now. But the way it did progress was that and it's really surprising how it progressed, to be honest, that um, at one point I met this guy, like a friend, and he and I got close and talked on the phone for like three hours one night. And I was just like, hmm. Because he had, the thing I really like is dudes with beards who have like almond shaped eyes. I'm dead. I'm gone. Just, I'm gone. No. <laughs> and uh, so, so I met him, talked with him, and I started thinking, I kind of want to fuck him. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And so I'm like, okay, I'm not asexual. The bad news is. I'm attracted to another guy and not to my husband. So this is the new horrible scenario. Yay. And so I told him my husband. You told your husband. Yeah. His name is Keith. Um, He, I told him like, shout out to Keith. I love you. (laughs) He doesn't listen to any of my interviews. He already knows what I'm all about. Uh, he, we've gotten family, we've gotten people in trouble because family members who don't normally listen to podcasts have listened to our podcast. Uh, That's true. I, I try to be careful with that, but I know Keith is comfortable with it, and and his social security number is the following. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um. So anyway, like I was flirting with this dude, and I'm like, well, something's going on here, and I don't know. I can't even remember the exact exact like progression of things but i started thinking like could i just fuck him could (laughs) can i just maybe like do that like i wonder what i would learn i wonder what i would learn by having this relationship or this sexual relationship and what could i i could i I bet i could learn so much about myself at this point you have only been with two people correct you're, and you had married both of them, or is that? Yes, two. Yes, two sexual partners, and yeah, that's it. I married one. I married both of them. Oh wait, no, three. I had three. I had a boyfriend for three months in between marriages. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> that was a fun one, though. Um, so, so we were like, okay, and I, I think I kind of came to this idea of like, what if we explore non-monogamy what's the timeline here what year was that um that would have been 
20, late 2016. Okay. And so five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I brought this conversation up and like you said, he had a hard time. (laughs) He had a hard time not internalizing that. Like, okay, we've been talking and you're telling me that you're not interested in having sex with me, but now you're interested in having sex with this other guy. Like that was hard that, that he admits that that was really hard. And I was like, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about me and deconstructing whatever the fuck I'm going through. So I I can't stop you from internalizing this. um, But I kind of want to explore this. And he's like, well, let's talk about it. So I didn't sleep with that guy or anything that that he's a mess anyway. But um, but I did (laughs) end up again, par for course, leaning in really aggressively into this interest that I had. Um, And so I got all of the books read all of the books, Ethical Slut, More Than Two, all that good stuff, um, and really dove in and really found myself realizing I couldn't come up with one goddamn reason why to be monogamous. And moreover, these books really deconstructed the concept of toxic monogamy. And I really found myself at the end thinking, I have no reason left to think that monogamy is a value of mine. I have a million reasons to want to walk into it and see what I can learn from it because. Well, g- give me a reason. Like, like what, why, one. why is it? That All right. You think, number one, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's see. It. I've had three sexual partners and the one that I was presently with had only had one before me. And so, and here I am trying to deconstruct my sexual purity and relationship like fear stuff with one guy who sucked with one other person and then me with my shit. There's just not enough experience in that little world. And he does not have the experience to help me. He just doesn't. He doesn't have the experience of uh, developing interpersonal relationship communication skills within a sexual engagement. So that's not anything that he could have worked on with me we could have and we'd ha- we would have had to work really hard because we both would have had to learn these things but in the end I was like I need to figure out my shit and I can't do it just in this one relationship and I also don't value the concept of monogamy for myself anymore and so I gave him the cliff notes because that's how we do it. I research and then I give him the cliff notes and he says, yes, you're very smart. And then he agrees with me and then he does what I tell him to. No, that's totally not true. He, but but typically we do agree on a lot of things. Typical marriage. Yeah, gross, yeah. you. No, 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 no. We're both autonomous and independent and wonderful, strong people. Uh, so, so he agreed. And I'm like, Cool. What the fuck's going to happen next? My world is going to be turned upside down and I don't even know how yet. And I'm so excited. And so we went to a, the Guthrie Theater, downtown Minneapolis. We're both photographers. We both dress up and take pictures of each other to put on our Tinder profiles. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then like we swipe on Tinder together and we like help each other write our profiles and stuff. And um so we get on there and like he has no luck because nobody wants a non-monogamous man because there's plenty of them already out there. But they're just cheating. And then but then me raining men. It was it was it, <laughs> like every guy. There was so many men. But then I quickly learned like one in 20 
is like what qualifier do I want to use? I was only, I only respected like one in 20 of those men because the rest of them were just like objectifying or would talk past me or through me or like, uh, just stuff I wasn't interested in. And so, so that began the last two and a half years or two and a half years or so of exploring non-monogamy. Um, pretty soon, um, I stopped wearing my wedding ring because it did not mean anything to me anymore. Um, I stopped. Oh yeah. Are you married too? And you don't wear it. I don't. Okay. Same reason. Uh, no, we're not polyamorous, but we decided that we don't own each okay. other. Yeah, well, same reason anyway, but not the yeah. polyamorous part. But yeah, the concept of not owning someone and that that, that ring symbolizes that. And um, I still have it. I love the ring. It's a symbol of our love. But you know what's a better symbol of our love? The literal fact that we are choosing every day to stay with each other willingly and the day that Eerie we decide, right? And the day that we Preach. decide that we're not good for each other, we will, with love, release each other into whatever is best for the other person. And that's that's how I see it. So no rings. What? And you won't be failures and there won't be like Fuck shame that. that. <laughs> Fuck that. This has been a brilliant partnership. And when and if it ends, it will still have been a brilliant partnership. I was with a guy from January to May this last year. It was amazing like a brilliant relationship that I learned so much from. I deconstructed so much of the purity culture and inter- internalized misogyny. Was he British? No, did but he say, was... Did he say brilliant a lot? No, 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 but I've been <laughs> hanging out with the UK people a lot. But like, I got so much out of that relationship and he broke up with me at the beginning of June and most people would be like, oh, like, did he... What what kind of excuse did he have for breaking up with me? I'm like, uh, he was honest about how he felt. Uh, is that not good enough? Like, it has nothing to do with yeah. me or my value, and I fucking know that. I respect his autonomy right. and his his knowledge of himself. I am sad that we do not have this desire in common, and I grieve that connection. And I release him with love into the world to to find what is good for him because I care about him. So if you're doing these relationships, because this is not something where you invite a partner into your marriage. This is not something where like you and your husband share, a, like, for example, if you, the, the guy you're speaking of, did you and your, was he also dating your husband? So just to be clear, like non-monogamy can manifest in a lot of different ways. So it's not like I said to myself, I'm going to have a triad. I'm going to add one person. We're both going to fuck them. And I didn't say to myself, I'm going to be strictly monogamous or like monogamous in my relationships and that it's one-on-one all the time. Like I didn't decide how things are going to manifest. I didn't predefine things. I just kind of waited to see what would happen. It just has happened that any partners that I've had has just been me and them. Um, so, so yes, I've never been in, uh, any kind of relationship dynamic that had more than two people in it. Okay. So do you still consider that polyamory though? Yeah. For me? Yes. Because I love those people. Polyamory involves, uh, well, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder about that word because it infers some kind of hierarchy of love and relationships. So I, I'm, I feel caution in how to like define it, but generally it's like that, like that there are these committed like, uh, amounts of time that you spend with each other and you have like a very affectionate love for one another. But even then, I don't know that that label is super great either, but 
the point what we aren't is i'm not just fucking people i i I am looking for relationships with people that that are ongoing right it's not swinging because swinging is just where you fuck other people right but this is yeah this is actually you get into long-term relationships with other people i guess my question would be why would you even stay married to your husband then? Like, I mean, obviously you love your husband yeah. and I'm, I'm hoping things have gotten better for you all in the bedroom, but you know, why stay in that committed relationship if you're not quote unquote committed, uh, when it comes to sex? Uh, so first of all, uh, a marriage certificate costs $125. Mm-hmm. A divorce costs $400. And there are many tax benefits to being married. Um, so I would divorce him. I've told, I tell him that every day. I'm like, I wish I could divorce you because I hate that you're my husband. It makes me feel sick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm over the term. I'm over the term. So yeah. over it. And, but there's just so many benefits to being legally obligated to another person. So we just do that. We've I've stopped calling him my husband. So like when y'all have been like calling him my husband, I'm like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, huh? it's a little gross. Yeah, you're playing the system, is what you're eh, doing. Stigma management. Right. <laughs> like whatever. You well, it's call. it's a bad system, so you should play it. I don't like the system, but. I like what you're saying about not wanting to necessarily define yourself as polyamorous even because the term, I mean, you can define the term poly meaning many and amorous meaning love, but like a person's sexuality falls on some sort of a spectrum and it's not the same for any one individual. So why even pigeonhole somebody by using any term? Do you think that can also be related to people from the LGBTQ community? How so? Well, for example, if, if you have somebody who identifies as bisexual, right, by very definition, that means that there are two types of sexualities, yeah. right? So like, I mean, is that term and the uh, boxes we put people into on the LGBTQ spectrum, um, is it even like really relevant anymore? Well, I think everyone gets to pick their own goddamn box. I don't want to do any kind of identity policing if someone says to me that they're bisexual, they're fucking bisexual. Sure. Like, I don't have any interest in trying to n- convince someone to call themselves something differently. Um, like, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying in that, like, why shouldn't we just be always open? Why do we have to use these labels for ourselves when we really know the ambi- there, there, there's nuance and spectrums? And like, why would you say yeah. to yourself, I am straight? Because that right. that prohibits you from being open to an experience that maybe you didn't expect. Maybe there's one Absolutely. person in your life, one woman in your life, if you're a woman, that you would fall in love with. And if you're going around singing, I'm straight, I'm straight, I'm straight, you might not You'll see never that. You'll have that experience. Right. So why would why what that being the premise why wouldn't you go around saying i'm pansexual or or something like that and i'm on the same page with you like in that way like um i do use labels but i use them for you like i use my labels on me for you but i know that for me i'm open to whatever suits me and i don't know what kind of sexuality that is but but more than anything i like to represent it with a graph I'm like, I'm mostly straight, meaning that like, it's a bell curve, right? Like, and in the middle 
are men with beards and almond-shaped eyes. <laughs> and then out here, we've got outliers of like some women that I'm attracted to, um, but they kind of manifest a little differently. It's in a, with it's beards an aesthetic. and almond-shaped eyes? No, no. <laughs> yeah, what kind of women do you find attractive? Usually really like um, butch women. Like, And I don't know if that's really? an okay word to use, so I'm sorry. I, I don't know what the right word is. But like the ones that have like the half uh, head shave thing, that's yeah. hot. Yeah. yeah, that's really hot. Like any woman who like has an appearance of like fuck you. So what? What about what it. about a female who owns her own gym, who's a stand-up comedian, you know, who likes to drop? The she's not butch though. <laughs> she's, she's not. She's not. She's not but she owns her own gym. So I mean, if she shaved part of she her head, would kill you. Know. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, go to the right haircut. Maybe you she, have a girl for you. <laughs> Fade degrees trying to so, hook up here. Uh, no, Amanda no. Martin's fine by herself. She can do her own thing. Come on. See, now. that's the thing. The other really interesting thing I've learned by um, exploring all the, this this wide diversity of sexuality and relationships and stuff, I've learned that there are different types of attractions. There's sexual attraction. There's aesthetic attraction. So like, typical, and there's romantic attraction. So you maybe a rom like you can be sexually attracted to people of your opposite sex slash gender. I don't really know how to describe that right. Um, but then only romantically attracted to the people of your same gender. So like there's there's all sorts yeah. of ways that this can manifest itself. And so like when I say that like about the women thing, like typically statistically when I see that I notice that I have some kind of an attraction towards a woman it's typically aesthetically like I just really like what's going on with all of that like I can't see myself kissing her I can't see myself having a romantic relationship with her but boy I really appreciate what she's going on in like a very sexy way it's it's really interesting and so it's kind of fun to just notice your own bell curve and just kind of see where things lay on there, but not have to be like, this bell curve says I like this, like all the time. Right. You know, right. and to allow for that. Well, have you ever, yeah, have you ever like given in to the people on the ends of the bell curve there, like the butch women given or in? whatever? Yeah, Were they trying to wear me down? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like you said, you may not be in a position where you want to be romantic with them, but you do find them attractive in an aesthetic mm -hmm. way. Have you ever experimented with that? Have you ever, you know, given into that? Okay, so given in is a and bullshit I say given, phase, but I know okay. what you're saying. Well, well, hold on, hold on. I say that because Marie doesn't give like your yourself over <laughs> to absolute pleasure. Come on, Dr. Frankenfurter. You know what I'm talking about. Nope. Give yourself over you're, to you're absolute pleasure. You're alone on this one. <laughs> No, there will be a lot of people listening nope. that'll get that. Nope. Um, anyway, my, my my question is: Have you ever tried right. that out? I, I understand what you're asking. I just I'm a I'm yeah. a little pedantic sometimes, but um, <laughs> no, I I haven't yet. No, I haven't, yeah. and I'm not really surprised. And sometimes I feel shame about that, like that yeah. here I am, like someone going around saying you should listen to what I have to say about sex and relationships and I haven't even kissed a girl but guess what that's fucked up that's fucked up like no oneself and it you don't know you don't have to have had every single sexual experience ever to know yourself to know the effective ways of engaging in relationships and interactions and negotiating and 
um, that kind of thing. So anyway, I don't think that that was the crux of your point, but no, I haven't gotten into that yet. I don't, and I keep, like I said, I keep kind of like noticing this shame in me or something that I haven't, like that it would be really cool and sexy if I did and that I'm not super actually sexually, like sexually nuanced enough until I do it, which is a horrible objectifying way to look at women in this context for, yeah, from where, where I'm saying. I don't think I'm you saying. need to feel shame for that, yeah. but I understand why you do. It's almost like you're, you're putting yourself out there as an expert on polyamory or certainly at, on non-monogamy or non-toxic monogamy. And so you feel almost as if you need to experience that so that you can be the end all say all, but, but that not. is in and of itself a toxic yeah. viewpoint, yeah. right? I yeah. know what to speak well, to. I know what I can speak to and I know what I can't. Yeah. I always check myself before weighing on in on things that I don't fucking know. I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. two, two women in a relationship together how to specifically be in a relationship with a woman. What the fuck do I know about that? But I can talk about humanity and how humans interact with each other. And I just, I haven't wanted to. So I don't, I, I you, you know, there's the there's this spectrum, right? There's this extreme over here where do not fuck anyone. Do not touch anyone's dick. Don't touch your own dick. You got to get that paper. It's this really, really strict view. And then over here, you've got more liberal, uh, liberated folks. Thank goodness. But sometimes it kind of gets into this area where if you are not queer enough, uh-huh. you it's not good enough. And that's not everyone. It's almost extremes I, on both yeah. sides, right? Like the extremes have shame on both sides. Right. It doesn't matter, you know, which one you're right. on, but like you're not woke enough or you're not liberal right. enough, uh, liberated enough to, you know, be the expert right. on this. I, I get that. But I, I, I like your viewpoint is, is like, you know what? It's not about that. It's about humanity. Yeah. You know, it's about people. It's not necessarily about those experiences, it's about how you can... Get away from those toxic. It's about fading to gray. Either side. It's <laughs> about fading to gray and living in the gray. So that's, Plug. Um. Well, <laughs> I I feel like I've kind of dominated the conversation. Shut me up if you want, but I do yeah, have, I have a question. Que- no, no, you've okay, had enough questions. Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. Go so, for it, Omar. So just because like something, Come back something to me, you though. said just recently um, that I wanted to just back up just a little bit, and it has nothing to do with sex. So I, I'm sorry, guys. So. Um, Put it away. But, <laughs> Fuck this question. <laughs> but you were talking about how even the spectrum or how you can have attractions to people that had nothing to do with sexuality at all. You just like, and I start thinking about like bromances. I start thinking about like um, my close friends who are guys and a lot of them who are like most of all the people that I have in my life who I consider friends are attractive one way or the other. It's not like I'm sexually attracted to them wanting to like jump their bones, but like I'm attracted to them. Mm-hmm. Like they like their personalities attract me, their their smiles, you know, their attitudes, you know, or their just their their humor, their wit. You know, there's something about it that's that's attractive. And I think that's just as important to anything than sexuality in yeah. a relationship. And why is sexuality always have to be the defining yeah. factor in yeah. a relationship? Why yeah. does it have to be like, well, I'm fucking this person. Yeah. So this person's more important than this person right here, but I share my life with this other person. Yeah. So why, why do we have to, why do we put such i I'm going to use the word stigma, such a heavy thing on sexual relationships. Yeah, like it's this a is the end all be all. And just because I let you put your, your thingy and my thingy together. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we, <laughs> yeah you you're right you know the way i see 
you're totally right because we talk about these sexual relationships, but really what we're talking about is every single fucking relationship, whether you're fucking or not, that, that someone that you choose, that you mutually choose to have a sexual engagement with is just like any other relationship except you're also having sex. So like these bromances that you have, you've got like, you know, you're hanging. You, so there's lots of things that you have in common that you're doing together that you're collaborating on in, in your relationship, that you're spending time together. You're talking about your problems. You are. Uh, well, let's say you could slide the spectrum to the other side and say you can have relationships where you're having none of that. And yeah. it is only only sexual and had yeah. everything to do with just like primal urges sure yeah and that's great too it's it's all a go fish game is the way that i see it it's like okay uh for a long time both me and my ex-boyfriend had both a jack queen and a king in our hands that we were holding together i was like sweet we want we want to we both want to be sexual we both want to be romantic we both want to spend committed time together we both care for each other so like our go fish cards matched in a lot of different ways and then one day he said to me and he's like oh shit i lost the king and the queen and i'm like well shit i still had a king and a queen but well darn like i'm bummed out because now we can't match those cards anymore but guess what you know what we still do have we've we've matched on the jack and the 10 and the nine that means that we care about each other that we want to stay connected to each other we do do still want to spend time together but maybe a little bit less time and so that that's that was a romantic relationship that had romance and sex removed eventually but but now we're like like all the other friendships or whatever. So just because you have one more match in your go fish gang that just happens to be a king doesn't make that relationship any higher, better, uh, more significant. It just means you're also having sex. You're also in a romantic relationship. Yay for your queens. Yay for your kings. And if those things get removed, that's okay too. It's just it's just a matter of like how are we connecting with people? What do we have in common? See, I like if you use old old maid cards instead. I think that would have been, <laughs> I been more whatever <laughs> floats your card boat, man. So you have sexual relationships with with all the guys that you're in your polyamorous relationship with, or are some just um, romantic, but like in an emotional way, not a sexual way. Right. So my question making. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And that's a, it's a complicated answer. Um, and it kind of, uh, carries on that arc of what I was mentioning earlier in that, like that sexual repression, bullshit, exploring poly, uh, learning a lot about my sexuality and deconstructing a lot with this last boyfriend that I had. Um, that has all, uh, um, culminated into where I am right now with my partnerships in that the sexual romantic relationship with my ex-boyfriend ended in June. So there's no sex there. I do have another partner uh, that, who I'm not legally contracted with. And I've been with him for two and a half years. And we don't have sex anymore. And I don't feel romantic feelings for him we do spend time together every friday we eat junk food and smoke pot and he spends the night and we sleep in the bed together um it didn't used to be that way 
feelings changed. We looked at our go fish cards and saw things had shifted around, but we still really like junk food and pot and each other's company. <laughs> and so the beautiful thing about being open to that. I knew I liked you. <laughs> the beautiful thing about that is I didn't it have is. to throw that relationship out the window because it wasn't like, oh, I guess we're not going on this escalator up to marriage. So like I could still hold on to what is good about that and still keep that. So I still have that partner in my life and I'm not in a sexual relationship with him. As far as the partner that I am legally obligated to, <laughs> um, he and I also don't have sex. And it's uh, it's not oh, an wow. ideal situation for me right now. Like I'm not like happy about it. And it is what it is right now. And it yeah. has to do with what I mentioned earlier in that he and I were in a sexual relationship for so many years functioning from a very sexually broken perspective on my end. So I ended up um, in most of those engagements coming from a mental groundwork of feeling a need to be sexually performative. And I think most any person who identifies as a woman would understand that. Or men too, I'm sorry. You also have that. And it's in a little bit of a different way. But that um, for so many years, very subconsciously, I felt like I had to perform sex for him. Not that he asked for that, but because that's what we're fed. That we show up we open up, we receive, we, you know, project sex out, we take in, like, there is... Unless you're verse. Verse? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I'm trying to get Seth to, like, respond there. But uh, just my point being, like, that there was a lot, there's a lot to deconstruct there and that that sexual relationship was already established in that context for so long that I am emotionally not ready to go back into that without some very um, deep emotional labor between the two of us to rebuild our sexual dynamic. And so to set your sexual relationship on fire and try to rebuild it from scratch with the same partner is difficult. It's really fucking difficult. And I have not met anyone else who's doing this. Um, so we're kind of uh, out on a branch a limb here right now. But it's, it's, it's what we're doing. We're really, we, we spend a couple of like four days a month together and have um, a very close um time together where we talk about our sexual history together where I you know where we just are really frank with each other there's no expectation that we'll do anything sexual in the in in that moment that it's really just to be honest and to express how we really feel because I got to the point where I was tired of being afraid of hurting his feelings and that's the internalized misogyny bullshit that we have to protect men's feelings and I didn't want to do that anymore. And I was ready to hurt him. If he got hurt because of what I feel I need in a sexual relationship, I'm okay with that. And and likewise, what he needs, you would be hurt, but he he should still be able to fulfill that as well, right? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. There is no fulfill. There is no fulfill. There is just, again, I think this is, a, we're playing go fish. 
me and Keith are playing Go Fish. We'd been playing Go Fish for a really long time, but we've oh, been mate. pulling cards out of our asses. He's like, he's like, do you have a king? And I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, shit, I don't have a king. Where can I? I guess I'll just pull it out of my ass here. And like, so it gets really uncomfortable because I'm doing things that I can't actually do. And so now here we are finally sitting down saying, okay, I really actually want to see your cards where are you really at? What do you want? What are you feeling? And that doesn't mean whatever you want, I'm going to do it, babe. We're going to make it work. Right. Fuck that. Fuck that to fuck. No. It's like, okay, where are you at? What are you looking for? What do you need? And then we'll talk about whether I feel like I can get there, whether I'm open to it, whether I can meet you halfway, whether I can make a small step in that direction. I don't need him to do fuck all. Right. But you're not worried about you know, hurting his feelings anymore for the simple reason that you are your own person and you don't need to be bound by that. But what I'm saying is, is if he feels like he needs sex, you are not going to get your feelings hurt when he goes out and gets that from someone else. Oh yeah. No, he's in a relationship. He, he, get, oh, oh, yeah. okay. he's got a girlfriend. He's been together with her for two years. That's where he's getting his sex. I would be a lot more concerned if he didn't have that relationship, because at least sexually, I know that he has someone that he can partner up with right now. So I don't feel any shame and I shouldn't feel shame. Even if he did, if he didn't have a sexual partner, that's not my fucking problem. I'm a little aggressive about yeah. this because I, I've had to be, it's a <laughs> compensation for the shame that I've held for so many years. So I recognize it's a little bit aggressive, but it makes me feel good, but you're, yeah. Well, it also makes sense and you should be aggressive towards that trauma and that abuse that you've experienced from the church um, that probably everyone here on this podcast today has experienced. Um, It is very fucked up and it's certainly been uh, a point of contention in my marriage as well. So yeah, I think everyone here completely understands the aggression uh, that is natural uh, to feel towards that. Absolutely. Does anyone else have any other questions? Cause I got, uh, I've got a good one. Yeah. So Looking at how you grew up to where you are now, what do you think has been the biggest turning point? There has been a million turning points, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Which one stands out? I think a lot of what I've achieved at this point, I would have never been able to do without exploring a open relationship to be honest, because it's, again, it's not about the sex. It's not about accumulating partners, but it's about deconstructing um, codependency. It's about deconstructing the ownership of someone. It's about deconstructing jealousy and the fear of abandonment. These are all things I'm carrying from religion. It's also about deconstructing the need to be right. It's about deconstructing the need to care for or to tend to or to own others' others' feelings. And I don't think I would have learned any of this shit were I not exploring non-monogamy. Have you ever met someone who is still involved in faith while engaging in a polyamorous relationship? Yeah, I have a friend who does, yeah. Yeah. I was it's, just curious. Yeah. In, in, it's almost like they're so connected in a way. It's I could see it being very difficult. Yeah. I mean, polyamory is in all over the Old Testament. Like, if you yes, want to find is. a reason to justify it, you can justify anything you want from and the Bible. And there's not one good relationship in the Bible. Like, when, one good example <laughs> yeah. of a marriage in the Bible. Name one. Nope. I'll wait. 
<laughs> and if you want to argue with me about that or get on Marco Polo, you can do that for as little as one dollar a month. At wow, one dollar well, a month, I was Omar. Actually, People no, need to actually, sign up. That's, oh, I have, I have, I. Wait, that's not bad true news. Anymore. You have bad news for us to report. I have, Seth? I have bad news. We can no longer uh, say that, can we? We cannot. If you uh, have not got on, if you did not get in during the one dollar, I guess yeah, fuck you. I am, man. I'm so sorry, <laughs> listeners. You can now get in on the Patreon for five dollars a month. Well, Marie, are you on Marco Polo? Uh, no. Do you want me to be? Are you interested in having face-to-face conversations with people after they listen to this uh, episode? Yeah, that sounds fun. Because there are going to be a lot of questions. Yeah, they'd love to. I'm, I know they're going to love to pick your yeah. brain uh, after listening yeah. to this. So we'd love to drop you in there. Uh, whoever has your phone number can do that. But I, I do have one question for you, kind of in the same vein as what Seth was asking. Let's say that you meet someone who is maybe still in religion, or maybe they're not, but they're still they still have like an outdated or antiquated view of monogamy. Um, what would be your one piece of advice to try to get them to see your point of view? Like what, what is the one thing that you can say to try to say, you know what, this is a really, really great option for people. And they're, they're still religious. Maybe, maybe, maybe they are, but, but certainly maybe because we have, we have, we'll just say it. We have people in our group who certainly are still evangelical. Um, we have a lot of people who aren't, but yeah. for those that are, you know, that may be challenged by this episode, what is one thing that you might be able to say to them to get them to see your point of view? Well, like what's a good reason? Well, I have, what's the best well, reason? I think, <laughs> see, I just have issues with the question, but I'll, I'll move past that. Like, I don't, okay. I'm not trying to convince no, anyone. Has Chris What's had one question issue? you have not had issues with during this I'm episode? I'm so sorry. I'm so pedantic. <laughs> no, it's good. I love it. Push back and like rephrase yes, I love pushback. But I, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. Um, so, and I just don't know that it would be convincing to someone who believes that there is a deity that has some kind of possession of you. If you come into the world with that premise, what I'm going to say might not be convincing. So what I find to be the most solid base for all of human existence, including fucking multiple people, is autonomy. Autonomy, agency, uh, the right to make decisions for you and for the things that belong to you, that whatever you feel, the choices you make, they belong to you. And the same thing, other folks... They also have autonomy, agency around the things that belong to them, their bodies, their choices. And so, so if I have autonomy, that means that I can do whatever the fuck I want to do with my body and the things that are mine. And the same thing applies to everyone else. And so then the question comes into like, so how do two autonomous people engage in anything? How can you possibly collaborate? And that's when we get into talking about uh, boundaries and consent and communication and asking for what you need and how to respond to those kinds of things. And so anyway, everything, all of my choices, all of my values, all of my beliefs, all of the ways that I approach people, that I communicate with people are not 
any longer based in a book that was written 2000 plus years ago by people who did not know what a germ was. They are now based <laughs> in, a, in a very cosmological approach that we are nervous naked monkeys and we are in charge of ourselves because there is no one else that is in charge of us. And therefore we have the right to do the, whatever we want to do with other people who agree to do those same things. Therefore, open relationships are a legitimate manifestation of autonomous choices for people that do not hurt people. They, they will have just as much conflict potentially as any monogamous relationship. They are not inherently dangerous, damaging anything. They're autonomous. They are lovely. They're, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff because we are all autonomous. And that's, that's autonomy. Ah, that's my word. That's my fucking word. <laughs> well, Chad and Melody, you heard it here. It's all about autonomy. Yeah. And, a, right. and apparently it's you're having autonomy. less sex than a lot of people who are in monogamous relationships right now. It's horrible. <laughs> and it sucks, man, because I hate dating. I hate dating. I hate talking to people and like it's got to be weird nowadays it's all via apps right i mean, I mean yeah. like what the fuck and they just they all creep me out and it's just yeah so i'm just like i'm just bummed like i don't know what to do so but i'm so busy anyway like i'm traveling with dave warnock and managing his shit and building my businesses and stuff i don't have time for bitches you know <laughs> give dave our love too, oh i will was he on your show he was on your show right he definitely was yeah. yes, i he thought was. Mark too like, oh good for sure. i always yeah. think about creating moments and living in the moments yeah now after speaking with him yeah absolutely oh i'm so glad yeah. that's that's why we're doing this shit it's awesome yeah well, Marie, you've been a pleasure. It's been a whole lot of Absolutely. fun. Thanks for giving the time. Thanks for opening up, sharing, and swearing, and just like li li living life out loud. That's a shout out to Dave as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's his fault that I quit my sure. job. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, yeah, he's an inspirational guy. So go ahead and it's promote like him and whatever else DM. you're doing, yeah. too, okay. like, like so people can... Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned before, I'm doing virtual assistant work, and some of that involves helping Dave Warnock, who is going on a tour called Dying Out Loud. He's a former pastor diagnosed with ALS. He is presently dying, but he's traveling the world, talking to people, talking to atheists, talking to secular folks, talking about dying, which is really talking about living and really getting into this one life that you have and making the most of it, which Carpe the Dia, Carpe the, I can't even say it the normal way anymore because he says it all the time, <laughs> but the other way. Right. Uh, Carpe Diem has been said for, I've heard it a million times. But when yeah. you see it manifested in someone like Dave, where he really fucking is, like you can't help but be changed. And so I've been working with him since March, um, traveling with him in Minneapolis, uh, Nashville. I'm going to see him next weekend in Nashville. And uh, it just has changed my life to work with him, to be face to face with de death every day, to be working hand in hand with someone who is walking knowingly to a very close end of his life. And death is one of those things that I am still working on deconstructing post-religion since there's no hell, there's no heaven, there's no eternity. Right. There's no afterlife in my view. And so yeah. working with him has just changed my fucking life. And I just, it's like, I've, I was making 70K, you guys, like being bored. And I quit my fucking job because I'm so fucking bored and I want more meaning in my life. 
and I will yeah. make it work. And so I really appreciate the work that you and Cass are doing with him. I know Cass helps him, you know, record the podcast that he's on and, and you're kind of managing uh, his appearances yeah. and stuff. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I really oh, appreciate thanks. that. Yep. So I'm yeah. doing that, doing the podcast, uh, life and the coaching. podcast is everyone's agnostic podcast. Is that correct? And yep. Everyone's agnostic. Yep. And then I'm doing uh, life coaching work, talking about relationships, coming from this point of view about autonomy. It's not just about non-monogamy, but it's also about monogamy. If you choose to be consciously monogamous or you already are monogamous and don't really have an option to not be, there's still ways to negotiate in a relationship that's healthier than the prescription that we have for monogamy presently. Cool. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Oh, you heard it here, guys. It's Fade to Gray. So um, like she said, she's going to be in the group after this release for a week or two. If you have any questions there or if you want to get at her on any of her social media platforms, we'll have those in the show notes. But it's been a blast. Any final thoughts, Chris? You look like you want to say something like you haven't said. Enough. I was going to say all you uh, all you Bible thumpers out there. Just take a, a page out of King Solomon's book and fuck. Fuck. Oh, fuck. my God. Oh, my gosh. Day. All right. Thanks. I'm so, I'm so glad I gave you that platform to say that. Before we there is a lot to take away from today's episode on so many different levels from the nature of significant relationships and intimacy to the changes in sexual interest over time and how that impacts the dynamics of a personal significant partnership, the need for identity and security. I found Marie's story of finding her true self to be very inspiring. I did find, there is one thing in, in the discussion I, I disagreed with a little bit. Um, she did refer to herself as polyamorous, and from my understanding, she's pretty much in an open relationship. But again, because I, I, I think I viewed poly in a different way, but just as um, words in the uh, queer vernacular have changed, um, I am sure that that is true with this as well. So I can definitely understand why she might regard herself as poly. Um, I just had a different um, framework of that when we went into the discussion. But I really think that this was a compelling interview in the fact that there was so much that was discussed and how it implies to probably each of us in our own individual lives. Granted, we probably don't have the same story as Marie, but there's a lot of things in here I feel are transferable. Some of the, the key things that I, I pulled away from this um, is really the importance of the relationships that we have in our life. Because while we change over time, the people in our lives really help shape us into the people we are. You know, treasure the people we have and work to build bridges with other people. And, and recognize those whom in your circle, who you can trust. And wow, in talking about sexual freedom and talking about intimacy, I think we really dived into that. And I think it's pretty evident intimacy is incredibly important. And while some of us may put more boundaries in place in regards to our relationships, 
there is freedom in sexual expression and for a lot of people that is something that brings them true joy and fulfillment and helps them move through life and deal with trauma and be content and really i think that we should recognize that for what it is we all have our own journey we are all on our own path and we're all just trying to figure everything out and at the end of the day that is the most important thing so let's keep that in mind folks and if you've enjoyed this interview um, or enjoyed this final thoughts i would encourage you to check us out on patreon for as little as five dollars a month you can be invited into the marco polo ftg family and my friends it is constant a chatter over there uh, sometimes I just have to put my phone down because I can't keep up with all the conversation. It's a lot of fun, and we love to see you there. Until next time, this has been Final Thoughts with Seth.